Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. It's time for another Political Rewind. I'm glad to have everyone here for the June 16th. 2021 edition of our show. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, let's get right to our panel and start talking about news in politics. It's Wednesday, which means uh, AJC political reporter Greg Bluestein joins us, having just sent his daughter off for another day in day camp. Uh, Greg Bluestein, you said the you said the line to drop off your kids was long. It makes you maybe look longingly on the days of the pandemic when there were no carpool lines. <laughs> there's no carpool lines. There's no day camp. <laughs> so it's good to have uh, a return to normalcy. Yeah. Uh, Greg, I, I promised that we would every now and then, because our listeners want to know, get an update from you on where your book stands. I, I think everybody who listens to the show knows that you are getting close to finishing up a book on the 2020 election cycle. Yeah, the first draft is done and into the editor, who I heard back from over the weekend. He, he loved it, but I haven't gotten the actual editing edits back yet. So uh, that process will probably begin in the next few weeks. And it's been nice to kind of detach from the book, because every waking minute where I wasn't doing something else, I was probably thinking about the book <laughs> over the last few months. So, <laughs> Well, we're uh, looking forward to hearing more about it, and especially looking forward to the publication of that book, uh, which is when? Uh, should be either later this year or early next. It's up to Penguin. Okay. Sounds great. Uh, we're joined by another journalist on today's panel. Uh, Margaret Coker is with us. Margaret, uh, I think you started your career, or certainly Cox uh, newspapers played a big role in your career until you went off to bigger things at the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. Um, you've had a very uh, strong career in in print publishing, and now you're doing something really fascinating. You've come back to Georgia. You are the editor-in-chief of The Current, which is a nonprofit uh, newspaper focusing on investigative reporting uh, in Savannah and along the Georgia coast. Is that all correct so far? That is absolutely correct. Um, yeah, I, I uh, had a great early career with the Cox newspaper chain um, back when the AJC's motto was covering Dixie like the do. And uh, <laughs> the great paper had regional bureaus across the state. They actually also had international bureaus. I was fortunate enough to be um, both the Moscow correspondent for the Cox newspaper chain and the Jerusalem-based correspondent for for the chain. So getting back home to Georgia, um, reviving the idea of accountability, in-depth local news is something that is very overdue. There's many news vacuums and news deserts in our great state. And um, the current, we launched late last fall, and we're trying to make a difference here for um, all communities in coastal Georgia. <clears throat> Um, we, should also, we should also point out that you led a team of Wall Street Journal reporters uh, three, four years ago. Uh, who were You were named as finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in international reporting, uh, 2018, 17, somewhere around there. Right, right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, it's, 
it was um, a tragedy, actually, when, uh, you know, the, the bottom fell out of traditional um, mainstream community newspapers about 12, 13 years ago. Um, I never really wanted to leave um, the, uh, the Cox newspaper family, but they were downsizing. Other organizations were, were increasing their staff, and um, the Wall Street Journal picked me up, and, and um, I was always looking back. I was always trying to figure out a way to, um, to get back home and, and do the kind of impactful journalism that um, national news outlets um, have the resources to do. And so, again, well, the um, current, we're trying to make that happen. Well, again, welcome. We're glad to have you here for your first appearance on Political Rewind. Give our listeners just a little more of a, a sense of who exactly you are. We're joined by two members of the Georgia Senate today as well. Senator Kim Jackson represents uh, Stone Mountain, uh, is a Democrat in the state Senate. How are you today, uh, Senator Jackson? I'm doing well. It's good to be with you, Bill. And you're with uh, a Republican colleague from uh, the state Senate, um, John Kennedy. Senator Kennedy uh, represents Macon. And Senator Kennedy, if I may, I'm going to start with you because you are the chair of the Senate Reapportionment Committee. And yesterday, I guess last evening, you held the first of what you say will probably be 11 uh, town hall meetings, hearings, uh, as the reapportionment process uh, we're at the very, very early stages. What, what exactly, uh, since it's going to be quite a while before we get into the heart of the process, what are these early town meetings all about, Senator? Uh, Bill, good morning. Thanks for having me on, and it's good to uh, hear sure. from my colleague, Senator Jackson, as well, and, and the other guests that you have. Um, so the purpose of the meeting last night, which, as you said, is, is one of 10 others that we will have, is to really get input from the public uh, and find out what they want us to know as legislators as we begin the process uh, that happens, as you alluded to, or someone else did, once every once a decade of uh, redrawing the maps. And so we're doing it a little bit differently this year than done before. Uh, Senator, uh, excuse me, Representative and Chairman Bonnie Rich on the House side, who chairs the House Committee, and I have been working for some time along with the staff folks at the Capitol to put together a program where we can go around the state and receive that input and learn from the, the, the voters and Georgians of what they want to see through this process and also really get from them the information they want us to have and incorporate once the map drawing, if you will, starts. And Bill, if you don't mind, if I could do a, just a quick public service announcement and let your listeners know of those other meetings so folks can know what to expect. <clears throat> the one we had last night was a virtual town hall meeting where uh, Chairman Rich and I were at the Capitol and a few other people came. Um, but the next one will be June the 28th. That's going to be at the Capitol for purposes of folks in the Atlanta area. And then on June the 29th, we'll be in Cumming. June the 30th, we'll be in Dalton. July the 6th in Athens. July 7th in Augusta. July 26th in Brunswick, July 27th in Albany, July 28th in Columbus, July 29th in Macon, and then we're going to do one more final wrap-up on July the 30th that will be virtually as well, and all of those are from 5 to 7 in the afternoon, and thanks, Bill, for letting me get that information out to your listeners. 
Well, I think what we'll do is if we can get uh, a copy of all of those dates from your office, uh, Senator, um, Sam Burmistaz and Amelia will be glad to post them on our social media so people know about them. Quick, Bluestein, what's happening? On, where is the meeting going to be on July 28th? Uh, I was putting down the Athens meeting July Columbus. 6th, so I can make sure I commit to that one. <laughs> okay, Greg, Greg, I, I'm obviously being playful with you, but l let's talk about this a little more. So, you know, Senator, we know from the reporting of your colleague, Mark Nisi, that there were a lot of young people who wanted to be a part of this process, uh, this first hearing. And, and um, that's fascinating because it really does tell us even more about how young people seem to want to get really involved in the political process. Ever since the 2020 election cycle, since last summer's uh, demonstrations against racism, police violence. But, um, Greg, it's, it's wonderful to get public input, but we know that this is going to end up being like all reapportionment uh, uh, exercises, a matter of one party trying to muscle the other to get as much advantage as possible. That's a fair statement, isn't it, Greg? I think it is. I mean, these these end up being partisan affairs. Um, it is great that lawmakers are hearing the input from around the state. And as you mentioned, thousands of uh, there, there's a lot of interest from young people, including thousands who recently uh, registered to vote even between the November election and the runoff uh, in January 5th. Um, but, you know, this will end up being a very, very divisive process, probably. I mean, you know, who knows? The lawmakers could really uh, change the dynamic, but it will probably be a very divisive process um, because this is a, a once in a decade uh, process where lawmakers really get to choose who their voters are going to be. And, it, and it's hard to take unless there's a nonpartisan judge or, or another process to, to uh, in, in place. It's hard to take the politics out of it, especially when um, there's going to be so much emotions. Lawmakers, some lawmakers will be drawn into each other's districts. And of course, there'll be a, a congressional redrawing where you could have one or even both of the suburban um, congressional districts that have been flipped by Democrats back in the, in, in the crosshairs. So it's going to be a very, very fraught process, probably. Kim? Yeah, I, I just want to re reiterate some of the things that I heard last night. And um, when we talk about young people being involved in the process, we're actually talking about high schoolers. There were a number of high schoolers who offered public comments um, last night. Um, and the AAPI community was very well represented and wanted to be really clear that they are a community of interest that needs to be paid attention to. But overwhelmingly, the people who spoke last night called for transparency and asked that we would not create partisan maps. And I, I know that's a huge ask. And, uh, you know, certainly Democrats have had a history of, of doing just the opposite. But that was the overwhelming cry that we heard yesterday from our Georgia citizens was to so please not uh, let's not pack and crack black um, communities. Let's pay attention to these communities of interest. And uh, please, 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 I heard that multiple times. Let's try to create fair districts. And so um, I, I do hope that we'll we'll start moving in that direction. I, I know that's a big lift and a big ask um, for the majority party, but but I do think that that's what the people of Georgia have been clear about what they want. Margaret. Yeah, you know, in, unfortunately, over the last uh, two decades or so, politics has become even more of a bare knuckle um, sport than than it always historically has been. And as a very big sports fan, you know, I, I and I think lots of the readers of, of The Current, you know, we, we, we like to engage in politics and political discussions, but we also like to have 
sports that are run with a set of rules that instill a sense of fair play, you know, and and um, good sportsmanship. And uh, these, um, you know, these, these public meetings that are being held for the next month or so, I mean, that's a great way for everybody to um, get to know what the communities are, are thinking and feeling without having to resort to national talk shows and national um, campaign messaging that come from Washington and other parts of, of the country. So I applaud I applaud the senators and and the rest of the the committee members who are going out to hear what what the communities have to say. Hopefully, um, when when people engage in in democracy, as because it's not a spectator sport, right? I mean, it is a team sport that we can all um, get to know each other and our concerns a little bit better. One of the um, one of the downsides of having highly partisan uh, atmosphere in Georgia right now is that we tend to listen to um, people within our own echo chambers and not hear the other side or the multiple other sides of debates. And community meetings are a great way to um, understand that our neighbors might be just like us. Actually, they might vote for other folks, but they actually care about um, solving problems. And we all have some of the same problems, whether it's schools or our police or um, or healthcare. Senator Kennedy, um, I'm glad that uh, Kim Jackson uh, made the point um, that, in fact, we know that that the party in power, whether it be Democrats or Republicans, tend to want to draw maps that favor their uh, maintaining control, whether it's the legislature or the congressional delegation. Um, so that said, I also know that um, one of the things that uh, David Ralston over on the House side takes great pride in is the fact that uh, the last time we did <coughs> redistricting in the state, we still had pre we still there was still preclearance by the Justice Department. That was back in the day before the Supreme Court uh, said that uh, Section Five, which called for preclearance, was no longer relevant. So there's a certain pride that last time around Republicans drew maps that were accepted by DOJ as not being, certainly not uh, being uh, racially uh, uh, unfair, uh, illegal, but partisan uh, redistricting is still perfectly allowable, Senator. Bill, you're right from a legal perspective, and the Supreme Court opinions uh, state that. but at the same time, I think that we are taking a sincere effort, and I think it's seen by the uh, not only the, the meetings that we're having, but also the uh, involvement that, and engagement that we're seeking from, from folks around Georgia to let us know what they want um, so that all of that data will be used by us in the process. Uh, and, and I would also add, and you're probably going to get to this at some point, but uh, most of certainly everyone on on this show knows we're going to have a we're going to have enough challenges uh, because of the compressed time frame that we're doing all of this. The the, the normal time frame is the census data would be in by April the first. Um, that data is going to be in even uh, in a limited fashion. I am told August the sixteenth, but the real specific data won't be in until perhaps late in September. And so we've got a lot of work to do uh, in a short period of time. Um, and and we're going to do that. We're going to do it in a very fair and transparent way. And you're right, uh, Speaker Ralston does talk about with pride how uh, the maps that were drawn by the Republicans in 2011 were good maps and were were accepted. And 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 I think uh, somewhat to my my colleague uh, Senator Jackson's comments of 
the, how the Democrats have done it in the past. I think one can look to the 2001 cycle and how that was done. And I think we, we in 2011, the Republicans uh, were good with regard with regard to doing it, uh, not in a secret closed door way, but a, but an open way that, in fact, has borne out to be fair. And I intend to do everything I can to continue that uh, that process. Uh, Kim, I, you, you may want to jump in here because, yes, it's true, DOGA did sign off on the map, uh, but the partisan aspects of the map and with the ways in which uh, uh, Republicans were able to uh, draw their lines still uh, troubled Democrats greatly. Tell us why. Well, absolutely. I mean, I can say when I went on the campaign trail and I would show a picture of my map, inevitably people would say, oh, it looks like a dragon. Why is it like that? Um, And we would talk about our friend gerrymandering, right? Um, I mean, even just a common lay folks can look at the maps that we received out of the first redistricting, out of redistricting in 2011 and see that gerrymandering was very much a part of it. And while those maps did pass preclearance, that did not speak to the the part the nature of it. And also, it's very clear that um, there actually were, there there was packing of, of communities, of African-American communities that were present. I think that the Obama administration during that time was trying to be cautious um, and wanted to preserve Section 5 and so didn't um, challenge our maps. Um, and, you know, ultimately we still lost Section 5. But um, let's, let's be clear, our maps that we are currently living under were completely gerrymandered. Uh, and, and we need to make sure that when it comes to transparency, let's, let's define that. Um, our maps need to be published in advance so that public, the public can have comments about it. Right now, people are going into hearings completely blind because we have no data, and that's understandable. But we need to make sure that when those initial maps are drawn, that they are posted online, that we have virtual comment opportunities for people so that there's actual transparency in this process. And it's not just something that shows up on the floor and that we vote on um, without having had public input. Hey, uh, Greg and Margaret, I want to get you back in. And but Greg, let me just point out, based on what Kim just said, Senator Jackson just said, um, I remember the day when redistricting, it was pre-computer days, when redistricting was a very intense, laborious process um, where there were huge broadsheets drawn up in the reapportionment office um, and maps had to be drawn by with examining data by hand. And so... There was more time to make reviews of a given uh, map because it took so long to draw them. The thing that happens now, Greg, as you well know, is Kim Jackson says we need transparency. We need to know the lines. The computer can redraw a map in a matter of seconds to give advantage to one party or another. And if there's not the same time to examine what's going on. That, that was the point I was going to make was there's increasingly sophisticated computer software now. Uh, that is getting better by the day they can analyze down to the precinct level, down to the street level, um, who lives where, who's likely to vote for whom. Um, and that has changed the game. And and it actually helps in terms of the compressed timeline because it means that that it's a lot quicker to draft these maps. But it also hurts in terms of transparency because maps can change overnight. We even saw some of this with tinkering of legislative districts um, offsite, outside of redistricting over the last decade, but we're going to really see it here. And you've seen political science professors and other experts draft their own maps um, to show 
poss possibilities of how Lucy McBath's district can get a lot more competitive up in the North Metro suburbs and, and how certain legislative districts can get more competitive. So it really makes it uh, more challenging in terms of transparency, but certainly more easier to draw maps, uh, uh, especially for the party in power if they want to maintain their advantage. You know, uh, Margaret, uh, Senator uh, Kennedy and Senator Jackson uh, really are both going to be under the gun here. Senator Kennedy, of course, having to be the chair of the committee, but but Senator Jackson, too, they're both going to have to run in districts that they're not going to know the shape of precisely until so late in the game. It's going to be very difficult to understand just who your constituents are, the people that you're trying to win the votes of are going to be. The Census Bureau now says, although there's going to be preliminary data in August, their final specific reporting on, 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 on populations across the state of Georgia and the rest of the country is, I think, September 30th is the date for that now, which means the turnaround is going to be incredibly fast uh, for before you're going to get a chance to know what district you're actually in or maybe will be in or running in for re-election. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's it's the wild west right now um, in in terms of of who um, who our representatives are going to be in the next eighteen months, and I know that that is um, frightening and and quite frustrating for um, for our representatives, but it's also um, frightening and and frustrating for the citizens of Georgia who go out to vote. You know, I think that regardless of, of what side of the aisle we come down on on policy issues, as Americans, we all cherish the idea of competition, right? Whether it's in the business world, whether it's in, um, in sports arenas, or whether it's in politics. And competition makes for, um, in this case, better politicians. If you know that you have to represent more than 51% of your district, it means you're going to be working that much harder to help your neighbors and every community um, um, become better and improve all of their lives, not just um, your base and not just the folks who, who might turn out at, at the ballots every two years. So competition should be, I think, um, as a Georgian, as a taxpayer, and as a voter, it should be one of the values that, is, um, that isn't forgotten as, as we go through these maps of big data and, um, and reapportion re all of our lives. Senator Kennedy, uh, talk a bit about these deadlines that you're going to face. I mean, the, the accelerated time frame, September 30th for final data, and then uh, having to turn around, have a, do, you know, a legislative session that probably won't start until October, um, I assume well into October. Uh, this is going to be very tough for you all. Uh, Bill, you're right. It is going to be difficult. Uh, we're going to have a lot of work to do in a short period of time. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that we wanted to go ahead and have the town hall meetings early on, because as a practical matter, we really couldn't host those effectively after the data came out. And secondly, if you really think, as we told the folks that were listening last night and participated, uh, most politicians go to meetings and hearings to talk, but that's not what this is about. This is for us to listen. And that's why we're there. And so uh, based on that, it makes sense uh, for us to go ahead and have these town halls and get that done. But you're right. So if the data comes in September 30, uh, we, we've got a lot of work to do, uh, it, not only with the public, but also then uh, meeting with and, and working with the legislators uh, and getting their input as well. Um, so, uh, and as I think we all know, it's uh, really up to the governor as far as when he would call a special session. 
but to your point, it's it's going to be a short fuse, and we've got a lot of work to do, but we will do it. We'll uh, we'll all uh, we'll all pull together and make sure we get it done. So, Senator Kennedy, um, uh, what, what do you have to say to Senator Jackson, who urges your committees to look to be sure you're transparent, give plenty of time for deliberation over the lines drawn before there's action? Um, how do you respond to that? I agree with her, uh, and uh, that's how it should be, and that's how it's going to be. We are going to be transparent. That's why we're having town hall meetings. That's why we're having open discussions about this. Um, what um, you know? What is difficult to do at this juncture? Here we are in mid June, uh, without even knowing exactly when the data is going to come available. I don't think anyone could credibly say we'll have certain things done by certain time frames when we don't even know what we're working with. Uh, but we are committed to an open process. We are committed to getting people's input uh, and, and having it done transparently and fairly. And let me also echo something that I think uh, certainly Senator Jackson said. Uh, I, too, was very uh, encouraged and, quite frankly, incited, excited that so many people, so many young people showed up last night to participate. That's just encouraging to think about our democracy from the standpoint that, that people in high school and college are interested enough uh, to have taken their time. And it honors us that they participate and give us their opinion. Uh, and so I appreciated that uh, and, and look forward to more of that as we have the town hall meetings from folks. Uh, anyone that wants to participate, we want to hear from them. All right, let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. Um, and when we come back, we'll continue on Political Rewind. Senators John Kennedy and Kim Jackson, um, Greg Bluestein, AJC political reporter, and Margaret Coker, editor-in-chief of The Current, are with us today. Margaret, very quickly, uh, tell our listeners um, how they can uh, how they can see the current? Yes, we are an entirely digital news organization. You can find us at thecurrentga.org. Um, we're a nonprofit news organization that's all community funded. Sign up. You can get our weekly newsletters and learn more about what's going on and the, for the six hundred and forty thousand residents of coastal Georgia. Okay, thank you for that, um, Greg Lustein. We had special elections in two House districts uh, yesterday. And, um, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's interesting that um, in, the, in the 34th, where a Republican is, is retiring, Burt Reeves has taken another position, um, a, a district that, what, gave Joe Biden something like 47-plus percent of the vote, although there's a Democrat running against a Republican in the runoff, if you count up the numbers for all the Republicans in that race, there was over 60% of the vote went to Republicans in a district that had given a plurality to Joe Biden just last November. What does that say to you? Yeah, it was a good night for Republicans. It's it's hard to read into these races a lot, especially a race like this one where it didn't get that much t attention even locally. Uh, only a few thousand people voted. It was about 7,000 people who voted. Um, both parties resisted trying to make this in turn a, a litmus test of, of how suburbia goes in the post-Donald Trump presidential era. Um, so, but that being all said, it still was a very encouraging night for Republicans. They amassed about 60% of the vote of the 7,000 or so votes. 
Um, and uh, the closest Democrat got up just about 25%. So it will be a runoff um, between the Republican and Priscilla Smith, who lost uh, to Burt Reeves this last year. And so she's making another comeback attempt. Um, and it's still favored to go GOP, but I think Republicans were encouraged that the extent of the turnout uh, machine was out. And and the Republican, uh, both the Republican candidates were, were delivering similar messages focused on the election rewrite, uh, focused on conservative talking points, um, like the end of critical race theory. You know, some of, the, some of the same talking points we're seeing Governor Kemp bring out as he's gearing up for re-election. So it at least could be a signal that those same issues are helping to energize the conservative base uh, post runoffs and November election. So uh, we should also point out, you mentioned Priscilla Smith is a Democrat in that runoff. The Republican is uh, Devon Seabaugh, uh, who will run in that race, which takes, I think that's about a month down the road now. I don't <clears> July 13th. Exactly date in front of me. Uh, Margaret, the fact that Republicans were running on things like critical race theory uh, reminds us uh, that now all politics, at least on the Republican side of the equation, is national. Yeah, and, and it's unfortunate. I'm, I'm not sure that if, um, if you did focus grouping uh, two years ago or even two months ago that um, you know, regular families and um, working class people would look and see that critical race theory is something that that um, is is the thing that motivates them and and is the um, number one priority for 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 them and their kids. Um, you know, messaging is really important, and um, messaging uh, in modern American politics is is coming from from uh, you know central centralized um, groups that um, usually aren't based in Georgia. And um, more and more we're finding as, as we're uh, talking to people who are left out of those conversations um, here in coastal Georgia, that uh, people really want to, want to hear more about what's happening in their own backyards. And that has to do with the quality of school buses that they have for their kids, whether or not um, police are actually keeping people safe and small businesses say for that matter, um, or you know, the quality of, of the environment of, uh, here um, in, in our coastal waterways. Um, you know, race is a huge issue right now in Georgia, but again, um, local angles to, to those problems, I think are what local voters want, to, want their, their representatives to, to answer for them. Yeah, I will just say I'm a little confused about the Republican strategy. Um, you know, for my, my good friend, Ed Lindsay, who was a Republican strategist, uh, for a long time talked about the need for the Republican Party to, uh, and to, to diversify, to have more African-Americans as a part of that um, big tent of the GOP, to really broaden the tent. And yet uh, these kind of new talking points uh, where they're pushing against DIE and or DEI and uh, critical race theory, all of these things, I think, serve to isolate and, and push away, particularly African-Americans from their party. So I, I find their... I find their strategy very confusing. Um, and yeah, the, the lack of attention to the issues that actually matter. What we know is that critical race theory is not being taught to elementary school kids. Uh, it's not even being taught to high school kids, right? This is something that people learn in law school. And so uh, to turn and, and focus on something that's really not relevant to the people on the ground, uh, again, I'm just, I'm very confused by the Republican strategy. But as a Democrat, uh, you know, 
I think that works for us, um, for for people to continue to, to not reach out and not to diversify. And, and the bigger our tent is, the better we are. And that's what we very much believe as Democrats. So, Senator Kennedy, jump in. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think what we're seeing is a couple of things, uh, Bill, and, and as one of the uh, speakers mentioned, uh, national issues visiting everyone on a local uh, level, and, and and that it's not an entirely new phenomenon, but it, it does seem to be uh, in high gear now, and, and whether that's a part of um, social media and issues spreading more quickly, if you will, and discussions being had more quickly, um, I, I think it is probably more so that we're seeing some nationally discussed issues that um, truly do impact folks on a local level uh, as we're talking about now. When, you, when you're talking about edu- the education of your children, that hits, uh, that hits home and that hits a nerve with most everyone that has children. And I think you're also seeing uh, some significant focus on this because what we've, we're seeing in our country is a significant political shift on policy in a very short period of time. That's not entirely unusual when you have a change of administrations that have very differing political views. But uh, it's certainly been a significant change from the previous administration to the Biden administration. And and President Biden has certainly wasted no time in pushing his policies. Uh, And so I think it's the combination of the two that have drawn into sharp focus and is engaging people. Um, And my last comment on that, to um, my my friend Senator Jackson's comments, I I think uh, there are different ways to try to engage more people, but it's certainly one of the things that the Republican Party is trying to do and we need to do and engage um, folks from differing areas uh, and and all across the spectrum. Uh, And and we're we're trying to do that. We need to, to, to do a better job of it. Um, but it's something that um, it takes constant uh, work and analysis uh, and efforts on our part, and we're going to continue so, to do that. So, Senator Kennedy, let me, if you don't mind, I want to follow up, and then everybody else, please jump back into this conversation. Um, I, I don't think, I, I, I'm not sure that I, this whole notion of critical race theory, um, which we've talked about on the show, and I really don't want the entire rest of the show to be devoted to it again today, but nevertheless, I mean, teaching about slavery in Georgia to Georgia students, forget about this title, this term critical race theory, uh, teaching about slavery in Georgia, and that there's a history of slavery here, of Jim Crow laws and that sort of thing. You're not suggesting that those aren't relevant to the education of Georgia students, and yet that's what condemning critical race theory seems to suggest. Um, no, first of all, I'm not suggesting that that's not what ought to be taught, or that, excuse me, I'm not suggesting that we should skip over that part of our history when we talk about whether it's Georgia history, U.S. history, or world history. Uh, it ought to be across the spectrum, so we all, our, our children that are learning that, or whether it's college students, uh, need to learn all of that history. But I think what I'm seeing in the the national discussion is is not that critical race theory is limited to what you described, Bill. It is rather something much more expansive than that, uh, and I think that's where you're seeing pushback. 
Okay, I think part of the problem is that nobody, when they talk about critical race theory, is quite certain specifically of what it is. But thank you for your response uh, to that. Greg, one of the reasons I mentioned this is I was taken, when Sonny Perdue did the interview, that you did the interview with him, didn't you? Um, and one of the things he talked to you about in terms of wanting to be the next chancellor of the university system was he's concerned about the culture uh, that's being adopted in Georgia universities, which suggests a similar kind of thing, a political something of a political agenda that he believes uh, needs to overlay uh, the uh, uh, teaching in the university system, Greg. Yeah, he talked about, he said, a culture revolution. Um, and, yeah. and look, this is something that's being driven by uh, in large part by, by conservative media, uh, particularly Fox News has latched onto it, and which is why it's become something that is went from me had, had you know barely even hearing about it in political context to the governor calling for the state board of education um, to 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 ban it to restrict it teaching. But I also want to make sure since I brought it up in the first place that this this these special legislative elections were not single issues. I mean. Critical race theory came up, but certainly a lot of other issues are coming up too. transportation, sure. the election sure. law. And very important, too, is crime. Uh, and it's something you're seeing um, lawmakers uh, far outside of Metro Atlanta bring up. Um, but it particularly you're hearing the, the talk about crime and what the state can do to crack down on on crime uh, come up in this special legislative uh, election in, in, in suburban Cobb County. Well, thank you for pointing that out, because I think I'm the one who sent us off on a track to talk about that, you know, one big national issue. And, and, and really, I'm glad you corrected uh, me on that. There are other issues in the race. Kim, one last comment from you on this before we move on. Yeah, just just a final comment on, on critical race theory. I, I want to be clear. I was raised in the South in a context where um, I was taught as a black child that um, our people were enslaved because we were inferior, um, because we weren't strong enough to fight back. That um, you know we that we were a weak people as African Americans. That's what I was taught in elementary school. And so I think this call for a more balanced, a more uh, truth telling around our history as a people is really critical. And it's critical not just uh, to white people understanding that history, but also to helping African-American children to grow up and embrace the realities that we are a strong people, that we are a powerful people, and that we resisted enslavement the entire time that was happening. And I think that's fundamentally what people are asking for, right? We're just asking for some truth-telling in a way that uh, ultimately, I think, will benefit us all because we're telling a full truth. Okay, um, thank you, all of you, for that conversation. Uh, let's do this. Let's get the final. Oh, before I go to the break, let me say the other special election went before I got us off track a minute ago. Uh, it was in House District 156 in southeast Georgia, down kind of towards your neck of the woods, Margaret, uh, where two Republicans, Lisa Hagan and Wally Sapp, are going to uh, compete in a runoff. The Democrat down in that race uh, fell far behind, only got about 15% of the vote. So that remains, Margaret, Republican territory down your way. Yeah, and um, that gets us back to redistricting, I think. But you need to take a break, so maybe I won't go there. <laughs> I really appreciate a panelist who keeps track of my time. Thanks so much, Margaret. We'll be back with more in a minute.
Margaret Coker, um, given that we have you on the show uh, today, we can talk a little bit about some news from coastal Georgia, very briefly, news that relates to the entire state, really. We all remember that uh, after the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, we started to learn a lot about the complete disarray in the Glynn County uh, police force. There are a number of people in that department, including the former chief, the narcotics unit, been indicted on uh, criminal charges. And now uh, they're about to name a new police chief. The Glynn County Commission has a finalist. Um, what's going on with the police force down there now uh, in this year after Ahmad Arbery? Yeah, it, um, it's it's been a, a, a county police force that has been in disarray for some time. They have not had accreditation since 2018. And both um, both residents of Glen County and I think all of Georgia started paying much more attention to to that um, predicament um, because of Ahmed Aubrey's killing. Um, I think one of the reasons why it took um, such a long time for any arrests to be made um, in that incident was that the week after um, uh, Ahmed was killed, the police chief and the entire narcotics force were um, were indicted on, on criminal charges. And so since then, the county commissioners have been looking um, to try and get their house in order, the police um, department in order. Um, you know, they, um, the state legislature actually passed a law last year to disband the county police force because of all of the problems. Um, that was overturned <clears throat> by a judge um, um, last fall. And so we have gotten to the point now um, in in June that a new candidate for um, police chief has been named as the sole finalist of a long search. Um, the current, we've been covering lots of the community upheaval, um, reckoning with race and policing there in Glen County and in Brunswick. Brunswick, of course, is a majority minority town surrounded by a county that is actually majority white. And there's a, been, you know, a lot of outrage, a lot of frustration um, from from local black community leaders about what they want the police force to look like now at a time when there's a lot of intention and thoughtfulness about ways in which to, to increase safety um, for, for all communities there. The sole finalist in this search is um, a man from out of state. His name is Jacques Baptiste. He's a Louisiana native. Um, he is an FBI veteran. And um, he says that he's committed to um, increasing community policing in Brunswick and, and Glen County. Uh, he had his sort of public coming out on, on Monday evening where the county commissioners sort of introduced him to, to the county. It was a pretty well-attended event full of um, fellow police officers, um, community leaders and, and activists. And you know, people are, are taking notes because it is at one time in in almost a generation that that um, residents of Glen County have a chance to really um, really look and see what they want their police force to, to, to be and, and who they want to represent them there. But one of the underlying issues that are, are going on um, for the county police and I think all over Georgia is that it is incredibly hard to uh, recruit and retain police officers to stay on the force. Once you get them up and trained, um, there's a lot of other options and, and places for them to go. Um, we found out um, through our reporting over the last week that Glen County police officers are being paid on average $5,000 less than other police forces in Georgia. Um, almost 80% of that police force has two years or less experience in law enforcement. And so it is a young force in need of, of a major overhaul right now. 
Um, thank you for filling this in and all that. Real quickly, uh, and and do we when are we expecting the McMichael's trial to begin? The trial of the the three men actually charged in the killings of Ar- Ahmad Arbery. When when are we looking at that trial date? Yeah, jury selection doesn't start until um, late next fall, late late October, early November. Okay, thank you for uh, that as well. Um, so, uh, uh, Greg, uh, this raises a question. It already we heard it just a few minutes ago from one of you about the fact that crime uh, is going to be an issue. The way in which police forces respond to crime is going to be a huge issue in the 2022 election cycle. But, Greg, more immediately, crime in Buckhead is going to be an issue that that's both senators Kennedy and Senator Jackson may very well have to uh, deal with because the the demand for cityhood for Buckhead may be an issue the legislature will have to take up uh, in the next session. And and Greg, there seems to be growing interest around uh, uh, a, a a movement to make Buckhead a separate city. Yeah, this is this is also shaping the the the, the premier political contest of 2021 in Georgia after the runoffs, of course, uh, which is the mayor's race in Atlanta. Um, it's one of the reasons why former Mayor Kasim Reed said he's making his comeback is because he wants to prevent Buckhead, which which accounts for about 40 percent of the city of Atlanta's revenue, uh, from 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 seceding. Um, and it's going to be a debate. But I should also note that that no member of the legislature who represents the city of Atlanta supports this and uh, this secession movement, this this independent Buckhead movement. But it's a well financed, well funded, well resourced. Um, initiative uh, that is also playing into the entire overall debate that lawmakers are having. And there have been hearings on this that have already begun um, earlier this summer, but about ways the state can help crack down on crime, whether or not, whether it be more resources for state law enforcement officers, whether it be new penalties um, for certain crimes and violations, uh, and whether it be, uh, you know, more, more treatment options and and court diversion programs uh, to help prevent uh, recidivism and other issues. Uh, and this is a, a debate that plays into what Margaret was saying as well, because the state raised uh, salaries for state law enforcement officers as well, but that hasn't made it any easier. It sort of triggered an arms race in, in a way because locals then, uh, many local departments also then raised their salaries. And as we were talking about earlier, just as in Glynn County is having a hard time um, hiring officers, Atlanta, is down 200 or so officers. Um, and the state is still continuing to struggle to, to, to hire officers. So the labor shortage we've heard so much about in other sectors of the economy is certainly hitting law enforcement hard and has hit it hard for years. So Senator Kennedy, without a sponsor from the uh, uh, city of Atlanta delegation uh, to uh, propose to move forward with this notion of Buckhead as a separate city, I, I assume that is not going to come to your attention. But if there's increased pressure for someone to jump in, you could be asked to wrestle with this, couldn't you? Um, when you say me, you mean us, the legislature. You, the legislature. Yeah, okay. <laughs> not not me in particular, but yes. Yeah, um, no, no, you know. Yeah. Um, Yes, it certainly may be an issue that we have to deal with this coming year. And quite frankly, I, I, I think there's a lot that needs to be learned before I would be comfortable commenting one way or the other. But I will also add, sure. I think it's impossible not to be sympathetic to the people in Atlanta, wherever they are, 
that are being victimized by the crime that's going on in Atlanta right now. Um, obviously, I, I live there three months out of the year. I have a daughter who lives in Atlanta, um, and um, it's 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 bad. Uh, and so the fact that folks are crying out for safety, not just in the public safety general term, but also safety uh, for their families, um, that that has a uh, a strong appeal to it, and it also is one of those things that can can garner political support. Senator uh, Jackson, the uh, Greg alluded to the fact that in addition to you know this movement to create a separate city for Buckhead. Uh, the governor has jumped in and has uh, looked for ways that state law enforcement can become more involved in policing in Atlanta. That becomes a very uh, charged partisan political issue again. But the violence in Atlanta, as Senator Kennedy points out, is beyond unacceptable. And uh, when you have people who are out for a run and are shot arbitrarily on the streets in which they live, uh, it's no wonder that people are uh, uh, alarmed at what's happening and looking for solutions. Sure, and I, I would just hope that, that the solutions that we look for are, are not just the further criminalization of people, that we would look at uh, creating workforce um, projects and, and opportunities for people to get jobs, good-paying jobs. And we talk about the deficit of uh, police that we have in the city of Atlanta. Uh, we don't pay well, um, but the same is also true less for, for firefighters. We have a huge shortage of firefighters and EMTs in the city of Atlanta, and again, because we don't pay well. Um, and so I think that we need to do some work to make sure that um, we build up uh, strong salaries and opportunities for people to have work um, that's fulfilling to them uh, versus, uh, you know, just putting more police on the streets and being more tough on crime. I think there are a lot of other things that go into creating violence, uh, and so we need to make sure we address those issues. Senator Jackson, I'm, I'm running out of time, but just a quick response to that. There are people who are going to hear what you said and said, yeah, that all sounds very good, but that's a long-term fix. We need immediate help in stopping the violence going on in our community now, right? Yeah, well, I'm just concerned. I mean, what is the city of Buckhead, the proposed city, what are they proposing to do? Are they going to build a fence around the city of Buckhead to keep these folks from driving in? Um, there aren't quick fixes to this, right? This is going to be a systematic issue when it comes to violent, rising crime and violence. These are systemic issues that create it, and therefore we have to have some more creative responses to it. No, thank you. Margaret, before we run out of time, get a last quick word in on this. Yeah, I would say that, you know, over the weekend, Savannah had a mass shooting in which an 18-month-old uh, baby and a teenager were also wounded. You know, this is not an issue that affects um, black and white separately. It affects all of us. And this is, should be an issue that all of us should be able to come together, no matter who we vote for, and find both short-term and long-term solutions um, for to improve all of our lives. I, I like the idea of closing the show by saying, coming, let's come together. Always a goal on Political Rewind. Uh, Margaret uh, Coker, Greg Bluestein, Senator Kim Jackson, Senator John Kennedy, thank you very much for a, a terrific conversation on the show today. We are completely out of time, but we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of Political Rewind. In the meantime, take care. Stay healthy. Um, if you're not vaccinated, 
you know, think about doing it very quickly. And if you do, you can join those of us who don't feel a need to wear masks everywhere we go. What a bonus that is. See you all tomorrow.